0: Hey y'all, Sam Sanders here, currently in downtown Culver City, about to get lunch. But a lot of times I will bring my own lunch to NPR West in some Tupperware or something of the sort. And a thing that always pisses me off in the office is when my coworkers leave dirty dishes around and don't wash them. You've seen it. It happens in your office too. Bob from HR never washes his mug. Listener. Giving money to your local NPR station is the uh, journalism equivalent of washing your dirty dish that's in the sink. Everyone has to do their part or otherwise the dishes never get washed. So go to donate.npr.org slash Sam and wash a few dishes right now. Your donation will help support the local station of your choosing and it will also help to keep this audio kitchen clean. Thank you. Donate.npr.org slash Sam. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute here with a friend of the show and a friend of mine who I have not talked to in a minute. Uh oh. Adi Cornish, how are you?
1: (laughs) Hey there, Sam Sanders.
0: So your job as one of the hosts of NPR's All Things Considered. Yes. Keeps you very busy. Uh, I feel like the last time you were here on this show, it was well over a year ago. How have you been? Where have you been?
1: It was, um, well, it turns out I've been busy doing a ton (laughs) of really intense interviews. But I miss you. I hope
0: to be on the show again soon. Well, 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 you're going to be on today in a a special way. Uh, I'm bringing you on in this conversation on because I've been... Basically, jealous of you all year in these amazing interviews you've been getting for this series of live shows that you've been doing in DC and in New York. And you have this one that came out, what, two or three weeks ago, where you talked with on stage in front of a live audience for like an hour the Viola Davis. Yes, she is incredible. She has the
1: triple crown of acting, I think, uh, like an Emmy and uh, an Oscar. She has a Tony. I think she has two Tonys. And uh, we were at the 92nd Street Y. And she was in the middle of promoting Widows, her big film, with Steve McQueen, who had directed 12 Years a Slave. And we really thought we were going to have kind of like a fun Viola Davis, uh, you know, like in her heist film kind Uh of interview. And it turned out Turned into something else, something much, um, something much richer, something yeah. that felt real, very real, and something that gave me more than a keyhole
0: view into how Hollywood works. Totally, and like she spilt the tea on her problems with the plotline of The Help. She talked about how she wasn't even the first pick for How to Get Away with Murder. I mean, this iconic show from Shondaland, yeah. in which she plays the lawyer. And killer Annalise Keating, she talked about what really goes into making a blockbuster happen with a black woman at the lead. Like she really spilled the tea. She
1: did, and I think one thing that was different in how I approached the interview is that so many people have talked to her in terms of saying Viola Davis, where did you come from? You're mm-hmm. like a comet, you know. Or Viola Davis, tell us about your dark backstory. You know, she's a very she grew up poor and, and yeah. talks about how poverty affected her life. I approach this as, you are A-list, baby. And yeah. what's it like at the top? Because I know the air yes. gets thin. Exactly. And let's talk about what that's like for you and how you move through that world. Because exactly. if you have been a person of color where you're the only one or one of a few, um, it is, uh, it's complex. Yeah. And she, I think, really engaged on some of those ideas and even took it to
0: places I didn't expect. I totally enjoyed it. I'm so glad to give it to our listeners. We're going to toss to it now. You can do the honors. Make the official toss to your interview with Viola.
1: Okay, everyone. Please enjoy our conversation with the actress Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for agreeing to sit down with us and to Absolutely. talk about the film. It's My really pleasure. um. It packs a lot of ideas into a fun package. Mm -hmm. Um, What It Is Not is a kind of heist film where there's a hacker and a safe cracker and a Mm -hmm. sassy person who makes wisecracks at the end. It's like, what would happen if one of us actually thought we could pull off a heist and we had never done it before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, How did you think about this role? She's the leader of Mm -hmm. this little pack. Well, I thought about the role
2: in terms of The biggest issue I have with heist films is who would go to any act of criminality after they come from a seemingly normal life. Who just goes out and commits a crime? So I needed to um, answer the question, why? And so how I had to approach it is the character, when you meet her, has suffered a tremendous loss. Tremendous where she is now she now has nothing. Economically, she has nothing. Emotionally, she has nothing.
1: And it so, was in some ways kept in the dark about yeah, what her life, right? Like exactly. she, she doesn't even know exactly. she doesn't own her apartment. She, I mean, that's not exactly. unusual, I think, for, for some women. Exactly, which I
2: believe that that's what sort of catapults us into criminality a lot of times. I mean, yeah, I know that some people probably really like it, You know, it gives them some thrills. But I feel that, as Michelle Rodriguez says so beautifully, economic subterfuge. You know, feeling like you have no choice. Feeling desperate. Having to put food on the table. Having to pay your rent. Um, It's a Sophie's choice. So that's how I approached it. If I approached it, if I approach any role, like how Hollywood would want to look at it, like, okay, I know what the demographic of the audience is going to want. They're going to want this babe next to Liam Neeson, and (laughs) she's got to be light and funny. I'm not the actress for that. I really am not. I'm not the go-to actress for that. But um, Steve McQueen definitely wanted to approach it realistically.
1: That's how I approached it. I approached her like a real woman. You mentioned Steve McQueen, obviously Oscar winner for 12 Years a Slave, and um, is there a way that he, that your relationship was different than maybe you've had with other directors? I've read you say that there are times when you felt stifled or your ability to kind of have input in the creative process um, that you didn't always feel that power, and was he different?
2: Yeah, he's different. I mean, a lot of time. I mean, to digress a little bit, Most of the time, you don't have a choice. You just don't. Right. I mean, most people don't understand what it is that we do. They just don't. You know, a lot of people want to be actors, say, okay, I'm not going to be typecast. I'm not going to let Hollywood put me in the box. It's like, okay, you have to get a job first. (laughs) And getting that job is the equivalent of uh, winning... The uh, Powerball,
1: right? And directors have so much power. I mean, we learned that talking about Times Up and the and the Me Too moment. Like, directors have yeah, power. Yeah, it's their medium. Hollywood
2: has power. People who have the green light vote have power. It's it it. it, it I mean, not to uh, to no, get no. back. I'll get back to your question. But it 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 is a business that until you're on my level and even at my level. Um, your power and your choices are limited. That's just the truth. If anyone says anything else, they're lying to you. It's it's like we tell people bullshit because we want to build ourselves up, yeah. and 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 we get off on you kind of standing up when I come to the stage. So I'll, I'll say what you <laughs> I'll say what you you want to hear so you could keep adoring me. But really, um, as much as I. L- I appreciate the adoration. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. It is a business about money. It's like Denzel says. It should be called business show. But the, and that leads me to Steve McQueen because he is a director that sees you. And most people, I always say that if I were not a celebrity, I would be invisible it's, it's, a, it's a larger question about how, how black women are treated, how our femininity and beauty is appreciated, our mess, our complexity. Um, and whether we're allowed to reveal it. Absolutely. Even to ourselves. We get together, we outstrong each other. You know? It's like, girl, I would never let this man beat my ass. And I would never let him do that And it's like, listen, I know you with a man That's like cheating you like crap, come on But but that's because we haven't felt supported And we have never felt adored I felt that that adoration from Steve McQueen I felt that he saw all the things everyone else sees I mean, I have a deep voice I'm not a size to, You know, people feel like I'm take charge. That's how I come off. You know, I'm a leader, all of those things. That's what how people see me. But then he sees my shyness. He sees um, the part of me that is very feminine and fragile. And he's one of those people where the feminine, the masculine sort of uh, it's, it, it exists in him in such a beautiful way, because mm-hmm. he wants you to bring it all right. into the character. And he celebrates it. I mean, the prime example is that our first conversation is, once again, it's the main conversation. When you're a sister and you get a role, what are you going to do with your hair? <laughs> what are you going to do with your hair? And what are you going to... Now, if you were to ask me, what should I do with my hair? I could probably answer that. But then what comes in is, what do people want to see? What are they going to accept? Are they going to feel that I'm pretty? Blah 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 blah. And then it confuses me.
1: So this is all even going in your own head. You're not saying this is like a costume designer sitting down with you and being like, we're not going to go ethnic here. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Which is how I picture it happening. Yeah, yeah, really. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, you so know? you're doing this all to yourself. All to myself. Which I think we all do, right? I mean, I know. We do it, you, it to like, ourselves. I'm in radio and I still do it. Yeah. You know, as soon as I appear in public, I'm like, should I have straight hair? Is that betraying yeah. our people? Yeah. But, you know, like. <laughs> why, but what in, does you that know, mean? in our defense,
2: I understand it. Yeah. You know what comes at us. And uh, so <laughs> I had like a 20 minute monologue to Steve McQueen about my five or six wig changes in Widows. And he listened really nicely to me and, and hung up. He has a tendency to hang up, by the way, abruptly, but not because of rudeness. I think sometimes maybe the phone slips out of his hand. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> so it hangs up. Two minutes later, he calls me back, and he's like, "You yeah, why, uh, why can't you wear your hair, you know? And I said, well, Steve... That's a larger question. You you you're this is this is American cinema. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> and you're talking about me being in bed with Liam Neeson, you know, who's supposed to be my husband. He's not my pimp. And um he said, but your hair is beautiful, Viola. And I said, I appreciate that. I really do. And then he said, "You know, and you, Lupita, and Lupita, you've changed the game." I said, "Now, now, Steve."
1: Look, there. No, no, are there are not 53. that many black directors I or Oscar winners, and I love that you're arguing with him. Like and, he's trying to change the game. Let him. He is.
2: <laughs> I know. But at the same time, the complexity of that is my fear
1: right. of wearing my ha- hair.
2: Is me not sort of um, accepting the beauty in myself, you know? And I hated the fact that now, like you said, I'm having this conversation with him instead of just accepting it, you know? But, you know, once again, it's, it's the, the dragons that you have to slay within yourself. And, um, and I had to say, well, you know, it's different when you're an American Negro as opposed to an international Negro. They see you differently. Now
1: all of a sudden we're having these complicated... Yeah, transatlantic. And he's like, I don't want to hear it,
2: Viola. He screamed. He said, this woman exists. I see her all the time in airports. She's walking with her handsome Irish husband who just loves her, and she just hasn't been in the American cinema, and it's about time we introduced her. And he tripped over the phone again, and he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but to answer your question, that was a long answer. I'm so
1: sorry about no, that. No, no, this but is
2: great. I love the fact that he wanted to start with my palette and that he offered me a lead role that really um, was written for a Caucasian woman. So that was everything for me. He is truly a director, a teacher, and really
1: um, a muse. I will say, it certainly doesn't feel like that. I, I have heard you talk about the idea that, you know, would it be a white actress if it wasn't you? But then after seeing the movie, I just could not picture who that would be, mm-hmm. frankly, um, which obviously is a testament to your skill. Um, and at the heart of this story is is a love story as well. Yeah. And he really, as we have the, the bedroom scene here, you know, in the first 30 seconds of the film, you are in the center yes. of that marriage, in bed. Now, I watch you on How to Get Away with Murder. So... And I know some of y'all probably have as well. So to me, I have seen you like in a love scene, so to speak. This still felt with striking. Men and women, right? Man, yeah, with men and women. So to me, I didn't feel like it was such a surprise. Why do you feel like it was a significant moment?
2: <sighs> it is a lot being in Hollywood. In my life, it is not a lot. Yeah. It's almost like it's you in your life, and then you're it's it's you compartmentalize who you are. So it's who you are in Hollywood and images um, that are, and then it's and then it's you at home. And um, I remember a a manager saying it to me years ago. I said, I don't have any problems with you know I, I I. I know who I am. No one could tell me that I'm not cute or na-da-da-da-da. She said, yeah, Viola, but it's, it's a matter of keeping that up. It's a matter of the world not sort of beating you down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in Hollywood and being in that business, a lot of times what happens is you really have to fight against a 50-foot tidal wave of perceptions to keep a sense of self. You just do. It's difficult being your authentic self. And so, yeah. And I haven't been offered roles like this. Listen, Annalise Keating was not written for a black woman. They wanted me to read for that role. And they were going to offer it to two other white women. Just offer it to them. So if I didn't take it, it would have gone to a white woman. And you had to read for it? I did not read for okay. it. I refused to read for it. I did. I, I said, you, you just have to offer me that role. But um, but but <laughs> <laughs> but but, um, but you get into when when you look at roles on the page, you can already guess who's going to be cast, how it's going to be seen. You you can already guess that. It it, it gets in your head. And so when I saw this role, yeah, absolutely. No, I didn't. It's not like I didn't see myself. I don't have that imagination. I didn't think that anyone else could see me that way. Um, And let's be honest, we don't have a lot of images like that, so why would I believe it, right?
0: All right. Time for a quick break. When we come back, more of Adi Cornish talking to the legendary Viola Davis, all about the challenges of being a leading black woman in Hollywood that we don't see. All right. BRB.
3: Support for NPR and the following message come from the Lagunitas Brewing Company. Original employee Ron Lindenbush remembers when the founder asked him to take over Lagunitas Community Giving Program. And I said, what's our limit? And he said, huh, I don't think we have one. And I don't want to say no. When beer can turn into money to help a good cause. I don't want to say no to anybody. To learn more, visit Lagunitas.com community.
0: Hello, just dropping in to remind you about Here and Now. We cover the day's most essential news with context so you know the why and what's next. A fast paced snapshot of the world every day. Listen to Here and Now on NPR One or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: We asked um, Steve McQueen about you, about your gifts as an actor, and what makes you distinct, given what you've said about how he sees you. I Thought you'd like to hear it.
3: She just makes the ordinary extraordinary. So, once as an audience we look at her, we can identify with her because we see something in her which we see in ourselves. Now, that doesn't happen with every actor, only the greats. And often you think, oh, mm, actors, what, mm, what's an actor? A great actor can translate humanity and show us ourselves raw, bare, naked. And that's what she does.
1: So, that is his in passing <laughs> description. Yes. But I I guess I want to ask about that rawness because I think in some of your best celebrated roles people have talked about scenes in which you are very vulnerable or you are crying or you are bringing such an intensity to the role. Um, And you've said that each of your characters cost you. Yeah. Takes a chunk out of your soul.
2: It should. I think if it's not costing you anything you're... Not doing it right. My job is to create a human being. My job is is as an observer and a thief, that I look at life every day. People may be walking by every peop- uh, by someone every day on the train, on the streets, and not notice little details. That's what you're supposed to do. The audience is a part of the collaboration process. I can't be an actor in my room, I can't. I need the director, I need the script, all of those artists working to create the whole. But the other part that I need is the audience to come locked and loaded with all their thoughts, with all their memories, and to be able to look at the person that I'm creating on the stage and see themselves. Not a fantasy of themselves, not an extension, but themselves um so that's that's what i do um the other is is more difficult to just create images which (sighs) it's a hard one that's a whole other what
1: do you mean create images
2: because sometimes and i have to say especially with us as african americans because we so rarely see positive images of ourselves i mean let's face it we I played I played drug addicted moms a lot. I played drug addicted moms so much that if someone called me tomorrow and said, "Viola, I got a lead role for you to play a crackhead in a movie, and it's the lead. You have about 50 scenes. So get ready. We have no prep time." I would say, "You know what? I got it. I got <laughs> it. I can do it." But um i played, you know, so many maids, so many best friends, and i played doctors and lawyers. It's very interesting. If I play a doctor and a lawyer or a scientist, nope, that is not explored at all on screen, people don't have problems with that because I'm a doctor or a lawyer because image and message, especially in my community, our community, um, is more important sometimes than truth.
1: Although... It occurs to me as you describe these roles uh, and thinking back to the past that in a way when they're supporting roles, they're all variants of, quote unquote, the help, right? You're always a supporting, even if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're there to help along a protagonist. Absolutely. And that's a larger question.
2: That's, that's, That's a business decision because a lot of the international domestic box office, because once again, that's the one color Hollywood loves is green. They love the green. So a lot of those actors who are spearheading those movies that make money are white. For instance, and I don't want to lose track of me not answering your question, but for instance, if I gain any semblance of power, which I have, I have my own production company, which is, by the way, freaking awesome. (laughs) um,
3: Juvie Productions,
2: yeah. I mean, in every way. Um... But, so, I'll just invent something. So I see a great role. I say I want to play, I don't know, just a fantastic role. And I, I read a book, maybe it's in a book, and I say I'm going to get the rights to the book. So I get the rights to the book. First of all, getting rights to the book is not so easy. Because it may be me, Gabrielle Union, Octavia Spencer, Taraji, we're all vying maybe for rights. So then, you know, you haggle it out say, I win the rights to the book. Then I gotta write it. Who's gonna write it? Okay, Shaniqua Watkins may be awesome, just out of Yale University, just out of SUNY Purchase, who's the most fabulous writer out there. But guess what? Tony Kushner is on top of the game. It's going to be Tony, and I'm just making something up, okay? Tony Kushner is going to get the job. Okay, so that's the second hurdle. So now I have the lead role in a movie where most of the secondary characters are Caucasian. So who's going to do it? What Caucasian man is going to play secondary to me? Who's it gonna be when that budget of that movie, if I've never spearheaded a movie, so that means it's not gonna be a budget of 70, 80 million dollars, because I've never made that kind of international box office. So say it's a five million dollar budget movie, which is a lead white actors per diem. (laughs) He's used to being on top. So then I gotta get him in order to get more money. So then you look at the Caucasian women. So who's gonna play opposite of me? Who can bring in more than the five million dollars when that Caucasian woman is fighting for a lead role in her own movie? So she's gonna play secondary to me in two scenes in a movie that I'm leading. I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just telling you those are the hurdles that you don't see right that's how we're working behind the scenes and it's It's interesting
1: to hear that breakdown because I have been hearing you know Michael B Jordan or you mentioned Lupita people are being more aggressive about starting production companies about trying to find opportunities for themselves but frankly we don't know just how many obstacles there are between you creating that company and getting something and I'll tell
2: you the biggest obstacle is getting to the Lupita Viola Taraji Octavia level to be able to make those choices. And then you get to that uh, point, and that's the fight. And then what are those movies gonna be? Okay, Hollywood, somebody still's gotta finance it. So say you wanna be, you wanna do silence, like Martin Scorsese did, which is what, about a Catholic priest. Say you wanna do a movie like that. So you're not in the hood, it's not a comedy. Whether it's romantic or not, it's not a thriller. I'm just naming all the right. genres that we are an acceptable presence in. Okay? Say it's you want to do something totally different. Okay. So who is going to take a chance? Okay, it's not a business about imagination and chances. I'm not saying those people aren't out there. But finding them is a fight. It is. So then that's another hurdle, and I just want to impress that upon people so that when you, when you are critical of the movies that really extraordinary artists, really the Lupitas, the Taragis, Octavia, Gabrielle, Kerry Washington, um, Halle Berry, that that's our fight. You know, and when the critiques come, even within our community and people are not plopping down money to see these movies, you have to understand what you're not supporting.
1: I mean, we're on the front lines here. I mean, do you feel that sometimes? I mean, I think we're all so used to a culture of critique, especially with pop art and movies and things like that. And I think um, the voices of of people of color and women of color are much stronger in that respect. Um, But has the flip side been a kind of scrutiny that you have found frustrating at times? Yes.
2: Absolutely. I mean, listen, I say that and... Listen, I've gotten scrutiny from, I, I, I'm not being hard on my people, because that's why I created my, my production company. But what I'm saying is that if I were Caucasian, just if, and I don't mean to place race in it, but I pray that you know and understand what I'm talking about, that all I would have to worry about is finding great material, that would be the only obstacle. And maybe it would be about, I don't know, finding the money. But I'm saying that as a as a black woman, now I have to worry about will they accept me in the role? Are black people not gonna like it? They're gonna just come up against me. Uh, what is it gonna mean for um black women? Oh man, I'm gonna have to talk to the African American journalists that just
1: gonna
3: <laughs>
2: And I'm fine bah, bah, with bah, that bah, 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 yeah. bah. And you have to think about all these hurdles yeah. that you, But that you goes d-
1: back to Baldwin right This idea of as an artist representing Your yourself versus Your people that, that burden I mean a whole bunch of artists fled to Paris For that reason Absolutely. Um, so it's not I guess it's not completely A surprise to hear that someone is still feeling that Today even at your level
2: I am not a fan of the comment That you have to be twice as good I hate that comment Matter of fact, I will never use that for my daughter. I think it's hard enough just to be me. I got to be twice as good as me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that would be really good. <laughs> so. I mean, and listen, I can't work any harder than I'm yeah. working now. I, I literally can't put anything else on my plate except for the three pieces of bread that I ate before I got here. <laughs> but um, I, I really can't. I, I can only, what I can handle is being my authentic self. And and by God, that should be enough. I'm also not a fan of didactic. I don't always feel like all of our movies have to have a message. If it has a message, that's beautiful. I'm I'm not denying that. August Wilson has a message. But it's not at the expense of our humanity. You know
1: it's like yes being a character a, a and not example. being a teachable moment basically well a perfect
2: example is when a friend of mine read the help read the book the help and i remember she's she's african american she put it down and she was like viola oh i was like what and she said well, it, it was a whole, uh, when Skeeter goes into the, the maids' homes and she offers them $38 in, in exchange for telling their story. And she's going to their homes at night. And these women are living in abject poverty. I mean, in the book, Abilene um, doesn't even have food. She's basically eating canned goods that her friend gives her, who, who's next door. And so, but in the book... Skeeter is offering all these maids money in exchange for their stories, which could kill them if they tell these stories. And none of them take the money. And my friend threw the book down. She was like, oh. She was like, Viola, they would take the money. But the reason why they didn't take the money, and the reason, the reason in my honest opinion, with great respect to the writer Catherine Stockard is because it was a romanticized view of black women. It's a romanticized view of our, I mean, that we're so modern, and all the black women who raise these um, white children are so good that I would risk my life even. I don't need any money. I don't care if I'm starving. I'll just tell my story.
1: Because That's you cool. asked nicely. Yeah, Yeah. And that's bullshit. Yeah.
2: They would take the money. But I'm using that, but I'm using that as an example that when you make specific choices like that in narratives, then what you what you're exchanging for a fabulous message is your
0: humanity. One more break here when we come back, what Plain Powerful Women has taught Viola Davis about being a powerful woman herself. Also, how she runs her production company, Juvie. BRB.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Google Home Hub. You know when you're cooking dinner, but you're interrupted by the doorbell ringing? That's why there's Google Home Hub. It works with your Nest Hello video doorbell to show you who's at the door without actually going to the door. And you can just say, hey Google, be right there, and it'll respond to whomever's at the door. That's help at a glance with Google Home Hub, available now at the Google Store and leading retailers. Nest Hello required.
0: Hey you here again, urging you to wash those public radio dishes. Donate right now to the station of your choosing at donate.npr.org slash Sam. Donate.npr.org slash Sam.
1: I think this is a good moment to talk about how expressive you are, obviously. Oh. <laughs> In real life. Like, um... And also, because you are, you are a little bit of an internet meme, and at yeah. times, <laughs> when I want to express displeasure or, or joy, there's a great one of you like toasting, um, but my favorite is the one in which you search unimpressed. <laughs> this is from, <laughs> okay. unimpressed oh. is like, With that bad <laughs> wig. <laughs>
2: That one was so jacked up that oh. season. Oh,
1: Let me. T- I use this one about once a week. In a meeting. I just send this to someone else across the room, like, did you see? That's all you need to know about this moment. Uh, have you ever used a-, a-, a GIF of yourself? I feel like there's...
2: No. But
1: It's interesting. If you think about like the language of the internet, and if you think about the actor and their body and physicality as an instrument, you've given us a lot of language. You know? well, um,
2: well, yeah, okay.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> uh, a lot of it comes from how to get away with murder, a lot of these. And your character, Annalise Keating, is this very fierce uh, and, and flawed uh, attorney. And she has a very grand sense of self. She also has a very keen way of handling bullies. Here's, here's a sample.
3: Yeah, so uh, I got off my plane from London to a message from an old Hotchkiss classmate whose wife works for the governor.
2: I had no clue why she wanted to see me until I got there. So you turned her down?
3: What is this about? Do you want more money? Do you enjoy humiliating me? No, you signed a contract, and I will sue your ass if you leave. And I'll
2: sue you back for verbal abuse in the workplace, and it looks like I have a few witnesses here, too. You think the board wants to hear that you've committed more misconduct? This is the same
3: governor I've been protecting you from since we hired you.
2: I took this job for the sole purpose to reform the dumpster fire that is our public defense system. And yes, maybe you've put your ass on the line for me, but I am no man's savior. I've worked too long and too hard to get an ounce of power in this world. And your ass sure as hell is not going to decide what's right for me. I'll let you know when I've made my decision.
1: Get out of here, dude out of the office i feel like there are so many ideas kind of smuggled into this drama and i picked that clip because it felt like a good example of some of something i see routinely on the show which is like a very big idea about women and power just kind of placed you know in a scene and what has this character um or widows what what have these roles kind of taught you about power and how to wield it um, it's taught me several things because, I, you
2: know, I'm one of those people that doesn't always feel powerful, and um, and most of I've, us
1: don't have the quips at the ready the way that yeah, <laughs> you know you do I, I on TV. I, yeah.
2: I never have the comeback. I usually just just use an expletive, but um, <laughs> but what I've learned about power is that courage is fear said with prayers. It really is. It just It's not the absence of fear. That's what it's taught me with even Annalise. That's why um, in private, she is so vulnerable. You always take you with you. I do anyway. its I don't know how to not take my memories as Viola growing up in Central Falls and poor. I don't know how to leave that little girl behind when I go to you know, set every day. I don't know how to do that. And so I just have to know that the fear is always going to be there. The fear and the vulnerability and the feeling that, am I right? But the importance of listening to that inner voice, that inner voice, everyone always says, yeah, but I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. Yeah,
1: you do. You're just afraid to say it.
2: You're afraid to say it. You're afraid to listen to it or whatever. But I always know that that in the listening to it, it's it's always going to pay a price. But I got to keep doing it. And every time I do it, I'll feel better and better. And Annalise is a perfect example of that. I mean, she just, when she is in the courtroom, when she is fighting the bully, she's there. And then sometimes she's not. She's not there with a husband. She's not there with a girlfriend. Um, she certainly, you know, fell apart after baby. She's an alcoholic, um, and I feel that those two things always mutually coexist in yeah. any person's life. But it doesn't. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't step into your power.
1: We have a question from the audience, and this one is from Ronald, uh, and he asks through your life. Um, Adversity, setbacks, and kind of industry challenges, what kept you pressing forward?
2: People say that. ask me that all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. And I realize that that's a hard question. Well, let me I ask it why. another
1: way then. No, you can don't have to
2: ask it another way, because it's always <laughs> going to be hard, even in another way.
1: Well, no, no. But, I'm, um, I am curious about, can you describe or remember a moment when you thought, I'm not going to do this anymore? Like, I, I can't keep pushing now? this.
2: <laughs> um, no, but, um, yeah, seriously, no, but, um, no, I fell in love with acting, just like i fallen in love with my husband, and, and then I got married, and I took that covenant that I made with marriage seriously, because I understood commitment, which... I always say with marriage, it's when I said your marriage always starts when you look over at your partner and you want to kill him, and you're looking at them going, "Oh my God, I want to kill you," and this was a mistake in like one moment, and the next moment you're like, "Okay, but I'ma stick it out anyway," and that's when your marriage starts, and it's the same thing with acting. It's like that moment that you get a bad review. And the moment that you even fail, like, you get, like, a lot of crappy work. At Juilliard, I did so much crappy work, you know. But the feeling that I was still, I still wanted to do it. That commitment to the process, to wanting to be better in everything that I learned with each role. Um, that's what keeps me in it. The commitment. The love. Um it's a huge part of who I am. It's not everything. My husband, my daughter, my God. But acting is a huge part of who I am. It's, it's, it sort of saved my life. And I always was successful at it. Even when I was working at the Guthrie Theater, people always say, yeah, people do theater for the love of it. I did it for the money. Even, I mean, that $650 a week, which was um, ac- um, equity minimum um, back in the day, was good money. Yeah, that's a lot For of money. a 28-year-old, and when you worked for 10 weeks, you qualified for unemployment. You got your health insurance. I was an actor. I was doing it. But I have to be honest, with the celebrity dumb. sometimes you're like, oh, my God that's when you want to jump ship it really is it's a lot because then you're not it's doing what you do and then there's all the other stuff there's the interviews there's the makeup there's you know the working out and it's the weight. there's but all that. the acting. it's every, and then after a while you do that the celebrity dumb more than you're acting and then you begin to think that's what you do I literally had someone come to my house who and I told and I was telling this person I said oh my god the paparazzi caught me at Target <laughs> I was with my daughter and I let me tell you something when I go out I wrap my head with my rag I put my clothes on I'm just
1: me how else do you dress for a target that, Wrap
2: it, it, run it. Well, once again, but, girl, in Los Angeles, people, you can't do that. Me and Genesis, we love going to Target. And when I say love, I mean it's like going to the playground. She's jumping. (laughs) She's with her puff puffs. I mean, we just – and in the picture, that's what it looks like. We're having the best time. And I remember um, uh, this person at my house (laughs) – she was like, I want to see that picture. I was like, oh, it's jacked up. <laughs> and so I showed her the picture, and she was like, oh, my God. So what did you learn from this?
1: <laughs> Cautionary tale.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I said, I don't know, that I maybe should have worn my rag instead of the hat. But, um, but that's, that's what it becomes. And then you begin to feed that monster. And that monster doesn't give you anything back. That monster, all it gives are the internet trolls, are the people and you know, TMZ following you at the end. You know, that's what it gives you. And it's the exhaustion of feeding that, the hours that it takes, the time that it takes away from your creativity and your your love of creating that's when you feel like, ooh. Yeah. But it's interesting is when you reach that point, that's when people are like, oh, no, girl, yeah, you can't give up that. Then You got the golden goose. When in fact, when I was doing theater is when
1: I probably felt way more passion, a lot more passion. I want to get to one last image, and this is of you accepting your award for the Emmy. Uh <laughs> 2015. so Ebby Tony's Oscar okay now please tell me you can sing so we can just wrap this EGOT sitch up boy and I want
2: make- you know what I really would love to make you happy tonight audiobook well, I, audiobook let's do yeah. it
1: let's do it <laughs> Uh, but now that you have reached this point, and I know I'm not saying this is an end destination in any way, like what is your definition of success? Especially after hearing you talk about, you know, what it means to be a modern celebrity, right? That there's a beast that needs to be fed. Yeah. How, how do you think of success now? Oh, I'll tell you
2: how, how, how I think of it. You know, it's like you, you spend your whole life wanting to climb Mount Everest and then you get to the top. And then you say, and now what? Most people I know who are on the top are not as happy as you would like to believe. And it's not like they don't have fulfilling personal lives or whatever. It's just that they're disillusioned. Because the number one thing that people feel is that you live to get to that ultimate level of success. And once you reach it, you've got the sweet elixir. You've gotten the answer. And you haven't. You crumble because you haven't thought of significance. Significance is something completely different. It's what you're going to do with your dash of time that you have on the earth. Because we all have an expiration date. Not to be glim, but it's true. That what are you going to do with your dash of time? You know, you are only dead when the last person who has a memory of you dies. And that's why I created Juvie. I did. I created it because that's what I wanted to leave even for my daughter. You know, I I don't want her to feel like just because black people are 20% of the population that they only deserve 20 piece of the pie. Like, you should be happy with your 20%. (laughs) I want her to feel like she can have it all. My definition of success is legacy. If I, can, if, if, if I can go to my grave feeling like, you know, it's like Lorraine Toussaint said, she said the reason why she adopted her child is because she didn't want series regular to be on her tombstone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I want uh, something quite beautiful Like Shirley Chisholm, you know, on her tombstone is unbought and unbossed.
0: (laughs) Thanks again to Audie Cornish, friend of the show and friend of mine. Also host of NPR's All Things Considered. Uh, She brought us that chat that she had with Viola Davis. Her film Widows is out now. Fun fact, me and Aunt Betty saw it Thanksgiving night once the kitchen was cleaned. It's a V-good movie. Betty liked it too. All right, thanks to the team at All Things Considered who originally produced that conversation uh, and helped to share it with you. Listeners, we are back in your feeds on Friday with our usual wrap on the news and culture of the week. Do not forget, between now and then, share with me the best thing that happened to you all week. Send me a voice memo, an audio file of some sort to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Also, send whatever you want. Pictures of your dogs. We got some photos of 64 Impalas last week. That was real nice. Keep it coming. Okay, until Friday, thank you, Viola Davis, for being Viola Davis, and thank you for listening. Talk soon.